0: Welcome to the strategy and leadership podcast brought to you by SME strategy. Our goal on the strategy and leadership podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host each episode. I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and help your team move forward. So, with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Welcome, folks. My guest today is Kristen Harper, who is the CEO of Driven to Succeed LLC. Kristen, how are you today?
1: I'm great. How are you, Anthony?
0: I'm rocking and rolling. It's a beautiful day, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you.
1: Likewise. And hello to your listening audience.
0: Well, I'm stoked too. When I When I saw your name come across my desk, I'm like, oh my gosh, this lady's going to have so much fun stuff to talk about just because you've been able to work all over the country, the United States, that is, working with some great brands and now in your own organization. So why don't you tell our listeners about who you are and uh, some of the exciting things that you get to do on a day-to-day basis?
1: Absolutely. So after graduating from high school in Columbus, Ohio, I went to school at Florida A&M University where I got a bachelor's and MBA with a focus in marketing and had a great opportunity to do several internships, including a global internship in the UK with Kimberly Clark and a brand management internship of all things on the fix it brand at Procter & Gamble. So that was really fun as a, uh, a 20-something year old. I ultimately went back to P&G and spent over eight years there in a variety of roles within brand management, marketing, shopper marketing, as well as professional marketing, and then was recruited to the Hershey Company, where I spent five years in roles that were global and domestic in scope, and then went to Cardinal Health, a Fortune 20, $150 billion global healthcare company. And so I've had diverse experiences across B2C and B2B leading global iconic brands, including Crest, Oral-B, Hershey's Kisses, and have had a tremendous amount of experience and have been blessed to go from college intern to global vice president of a Fortune 20 in my 30s. And so I ventured into full-time entrepreneurship just over a year ago. And so as the CEO of Driven to Succeed, we provide market research and brand strategy consulting to Fortune 500 companies and leading brands, as well as leadership and emotional intelligence keynote speaking and training based on my newly released book, The Heart of a Leader, 52, Emotional Intelligence, Insights to Advance Your Career. So that is my background in a nutshell.
0: Well, I mean, you summed up pretty much everything. I've got nothing else to share about that. So I guess I'll just ask you some (laughs) some questions. we look at your book, Heart of a Leader, and we look at emotional intelligence and everything it takes to succeed within an organization, whether it's from the top or from the bottom or from the middle, what are some of the lessons that you've learned Growing up, literally, in that corporate setting and at various stages, have you found that the the leadership journey changed, as in you had to focus on different things? Like, What was your experience in that?
1: Absolutely. Every level of leadership requires a new version of you. There's a book by Marshall Goldsmith called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, and it is just a tremendous book. When you start off in your role it's a really about your technical expertise it's always about delivering results to the organization not just focused on your roles and responsibilities but tangible measurable results the higher you go the more it becomes around influence and your ability to envision and to steer others towards better outcomes and engage and collaborate with others there's a time when you usually get to that director role where you're doing less of the work and you're doing, you're in more meetings, generally all day long. A lot of times talking with your peers and you're helping to guide the strategy and what the plan should be and rolling that and cascading that down to your teams who do more of the execution. And so one of the challenges for many is to give up doing the work themselves and getting fulfillment from doing different type of work, and that type of work tends to be around the envisioning, around uh, creating clear strategies and plans, and importantly, around developing talent. And everyone's not cut out for for management, and that's fine because corporations and most businesses really are shaped like a pyramid. It's fewer people the higher you go, uh, and so every new level of leadership requires a new version of you. That's one of the many, many lessons that I've learned in my journey.
0: I love that and definitely get that the staged approach in the way I sort of looked at it is like a, a dial where you're like highly operational to moving to highly strategic. Did you have any experiences, you know, without naming names or anything, did you have any experiences where early on in your career you wanted to really implement and move forward some of those strategic initiatives? And did you find the process was easy? Was it challenging? And, you know, probably you learned some emotional intelligence tools along the way. So can you speak to that a bit?
1: Absolutely, Anthony. I remember very vividly one situation where I had this bright idea and uh, I was in my, you know, 20s and thought that all of my deals were just brilliant, (laughs) I shared it with my manager and they said, well, have you talked to this person? Have you talked to that person? And I I had not. One of the lessons that that I learned was the power of collaboration. And I had a mindset that that people's feedback on my ideas were criticism. I took it as criticism. In reality, what I learned and I, I impart this lesson in my book is that it was really a lesson around influence, of taking it from my idea to our idea. And what was important about gathering multifunctional feedback is that people have different perspectives. And each of those perspectives are valid. There may not be a right and wrong, but every perspective is valid. For example, there are those who know the culture really well because they've been with the organization. There are those who may say, you know, we've tried something like that before. And, you know, as someone who has a bright idea, you don't always want to hear the naysayers. But it's really important to not just look at the possibilities, but also to hear those criticisms and what the risks are. And so I learned uh, the role and the art of influence very early on and the power of collaboration, because it's not just about my idea. It's about creating together our idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what I find really interesting from what you shared is that idea of perspectives, right? The, The fact that while you believe you're right, especially when we're young and confident that we think that all of our ideas are the best way to do it that it takes a bit more tact a bit more diplomacy and and really having other people understand that that that's what's important so
1: i was just going to jump in because millennials are now the largest generation in the workforce and millennials are not as loyal to organizations as some other generations have been and so my watch out that i would share with managers of others is to be open-minded around ideas that all types of employees bring to the organization. Because if those ideas are shut down too much, especially in a season where many people are working from home and there's a lot of demand for great talent, it could lead to disengagement. So I think that creating environments and cultures where people are encouraged to bring ideas and then you you diverge and you explore and build upon those ideas and then narrow it down to what can be executed either now or perhaps in the future is really important for engagement, which is a a great metric of of your your talent.
0: Mm, Absolutely. One of the things that struck me, as you were mentioning, talking about that engagement or lack thereof, is that now that we're working virtually, like being disengaged just means you're in your head. Like you just don't, if you're not around a team, you you could fully be supported eight hours, 10 hours of the day. But as soon as your brain goes to that, like, hey, I'm alone, you go down that like spiral path. And as a owner, leader, CEO, you can't control what happens to your employees during work or not during work. So the amount of frequency, I believe that you need to do to put in place to support that emotional intelligence in your own employees is key. So Kristen, have you seen that as like, what, what have you seen employers and teams do to support their own teams with emotional intelligence and fostering that resiliency?
1: Absolutely. I was just on a call this week with other chief marketing officers for a variety of companies, mostly in the U S and you know, we talked about the use of Zoom and webinars and having cameras on. Um, one of the best practices that one of my colleagues shared is having the camera on for the first 10 minutes so you can get that face-to-face, that real engagement um, that people feel connected. But after 10 minutes, making it okay culturally to turn off the video. I created a, a phrase this week called PTZD post-traumatic Zoom disorder. Why? Because people are simply exhausted. When you're on Zoom and when you're on a webinar format, you have to be more present, you have to be more attentive. And the realities of work from home is that the demands are, are greater of our attention and a lot of other hats and priorities that we have. And so there's the need to have that freedom. And so others are you know, checking in one-on-one it could be five minutes at a time. Some people are doing, you know, virtual, virtual teas or virtual chat and chews or virtual lunches. But I think checking in on people from an individual standpoint is important. Some of the other things that I've heard that clients and, and other colleagues are doing is around certainly virtual happy hours and things that are just fun in nature, like Icebreakers, you know, icebreakers never get old to really go beyond the tactical elements of what the job requires to really focus on people. And those who are, I also heard one other best practice around creating time freedom and giving employees the freedom to get their work done when they need to get it done. And it doesn't matter if it's during traditional or non traditional business hours. And then number two, a roll around family first. And so EQ during this space, I think is really about demonstrating that you care about people first and not just people related to their utilitarian value of what they can do for you or the business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I believe that it'll pay itself back. Like we're not, it's still a business. We're not altruistic fully and saying like, hey, but. Your people can't perform if they just can't stare at a screen anymore or if they can't be supportive of their own employees or, you know, if they can't take care of themselves, how can they take care of others? So developing that culture where, where one another support each other. So I think that's critical. And I love that like people are looking at that. So I wanted to shift perspective a little bit because you had mentioned, well, perspective earlier. And so I wanted to learn and hear from you, obviously working with such significant and important and storied brands, like ones that have really been around for a long time. How important is the perspective of the customer? So I know you do market research and you do brand strategy. You know, What is your overall perspective for organizations as they start developing their brand strategies and market research? And then we can go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Voice of the customer is more important now than ever because customer and consumer habits and behaviors are changing as we speak. And it's interesting when you think about large sweeping changes, for example, the recession of 2008, 2009, there were a lot of consumer behaviors that changed that never went back. For example, shopping at Aldi might be a good example. You know, people were introduced to other methods of handling their life affairs, and that shifted their behavior permanently. So I think it is critically important to stay engaged and in tune with your target audience, number one. Number two, we're living in an age where there are a lot of pressures. There are interests and Things around social justice, for example, and changes in behavior as it relates to e-commerce and convenience and safety. And so there are these macroeconomic and macro societal shifts and interests that organizations really need to be in tune and clear about what they stand for, what their beliefs and values are, and how they will demonstrate commitment in those beliefs and values not just in Word, but in deed as well, as it relates to the talent that they include and not only their employee base, but their supplier base, their commercials and advertising, as it relates to the products and services that they provide and the needs that they fulfill within the marketplace. You know, that's where organizations like mine can help for businesses to uncover, you know, what is the pulse of your A target audience, whether it's your existing consumer base or the target audience that you aspire to engage with. What are the products and services you can deliver that will ultimately solve their pain points and address their challenges in a better way than what they're experiencing today? So that we call it, we like to call it customer intimacy is tremendously important. And and the best thing is when you can hear directly from the customer. We live in an age now where it is so easy to get data. uh, And there are a lot of, you know, an overwhelming number of sources of data that you can analyze and draw information from, but information and insights are two different things. Data tells you the what, but when you're able to talk with your target audience, or in this case, we conduct the research, but you're right there on Zoom, listening and hearing directly from your consumers, that helps you to understand the insights and the why behind the what that you may see to complement the overwhelming amount of data.
0: Yeah, so at the heart of that, hearing, getting the information, getting the data, using it to make like strategic decisions. And what I really liked that, what you shared, which is, you know, the existing versus aspirational. And I think with these like sort of winds of change that are happening, like the world is moving fast. There's so many things going on. And I think the consumer's expectation, and as I talk it out, I'm like thinking even employee expectation, you know, millennials, there's the big, going to be the biggest workforce. They have their own expectation. Like your future staff are customers one way or the other. So being able to sort of merge those two together are, Increasingly important. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. Millennials, in particular, have very strong values and they expect that companies and organizations will be clear about what they stand for and that they will take action, not just performative in nature or to quiet down, you know, fringe audiences. And that's the thing about how marketing has really evolved over the past several years. It's gone from a one-way conversation where brands are speaking to the target audience to very much of a two-way conversation. And I think a few years ago, you know, sustainability was not a priority at all, but it was special interest groups that I think really drove the pressure and the importance around ESG and sustainability. And for the past few years, it's become a very important focus. And so it is important to engage all stakeholders, especially and including your employees, because they are one, every organization's greatest asset. And it can be your organization's greatest advocate or naysayer because they see it from the inside.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to ask you three questions that are hopefully going to set up and align. Okay. So I'll start with one, but I'll tell you the other three. So the first one is you alluded to it, but not maybe explicitly is around this idea of like sort of the tokenism, like the standing out, the diversity inclusion, like those are the things that are looking forward, but how do you like do it, live it and not just say you're living it? Cause that looks worse. So that's one. The other is how do you bridge that gap between leadership and the marketing insight how do you sort of combine the two to make those best decisions and then the third one and maybe the final is in these organizations that have been around for so long how do they start bringing about that transformational change and we know that there's like institutions in the united states that have been doing things for hundreds of years and around the country governments have been doing things a long time a certain way how do we bring about that transformational change. So basically I'm trying to ask you how to save the world, Kristen, but why don't we, (laughs) why don't we start off at the first part to say, okay, what, you know, in terms of standing out and actually like living your values versus giving lip service to it, how do we do that? And then one of the big issues that is coming up in a lot of organizations is the idea of diversity and inclusion. And I, I want to take that back. It's not the idea of it. It's the conversation of diversity and inclusion.
1: Absolutely. I am a huge believer that what gets measured gets done. So, first of all, organizations and people have to start with answering the question, why, right? And so, there are a lot of reasons why diversity and inclusion makes sense, not the least of which is the demographic shifts in the US, the fact that when you have greater diversity, it brings about greater innovation, which has a downward impact to driving greater revenue and greater profit and being able to service the changing demographics not only in the united states but in our very uh, global economy so i think organizations have to answer the question around why i think number 2 is many organizations were caught off guard as it relates to the conversation around dni and social justice because in many ways, there are many organizations for whom this has been a priority, but it was a new conversation for others. And it is obviously a very important topic. And it's one that I continue to be encouraged by not only the commitments that were made by many. You know, Recently, I was a keynote speaker for a a corporation, a publicly traded corporation, their very first Black History Month, you know? So people are taking this seriously and they're taking action. And so things don't have to be perfect for you to take action. I just read a mentor's article, A.C. Eggleston Bracey, who uh, is a senior leader at Unilever and former coworker of mine from Procter & Gamble. And one of the most compelling things she said is that, You can multitask when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Things don't have to be perfect internally for you to take action externally, et cetera. So I think it's a matter of answering the question around why, determining what your values are, and then making commitments and being able to have the courage to fail and the courage to fail fast and to learn and course correct. So um, I'm glad that that conversation is happening and that so many individuals and organizations are taking this seriously because it's it's an important topic and it's an important aspect that is very unique, I think, to the United States having traveled uh, around the world.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. With SME strategy, we're trying to put on, have more speakers around that to bring awareness around it because it's so critical. And it's also something new. And even in Canada, like we're open and try to talk about those things, but we have our own challenges there. But I think the the importance is that it it's what's important and that you have the existing and aspirational. It's like we should aspire, we should, we can aspire to that. And I think in order to do that, You have to be aware and you have to have the willingness. So I really like the, hey, what gets measured, gets managed, set up metrics for that and have the clear why. So I guess that ties back into that second question is how can leaders tie in that voice of customer marketing piece to be able to incorporate that in the strategy? So anything else you want to say about the practical nature of implementing that?
1: Yeah, as it relates to your products and services and even your talent, one, you know, from a talent perspective is around ensuring that you have a diverse slate of candidates to choose from when you're hiring and filling certain roles, ensuring that you are creating a pipeline internally and that there's representation at every level of diverse perspectives, points of views, gender, ethnicity, etc., cetera, and hoping to overcome those barriers that may exist. They could be cultural in scope. A lot of times women face issues around self-doubt and or other barriers. You know, Sheryl Sandberg wrote the excellent book, Lean In, and talking about women who opt out of the workplace at different stages in their life. So helping to address those barriers internally. As it relates to incorporating voice of customer in DNI, i I would say, number one, ensure that when you are conducting market research that is representative of the population across Demographics across ethnicities, across certainly gender, etc., as well as geographies. There are different geographical nuances. You know, sometimes depending on the category, product, or service. It may make sense to engage a minority business enterprise certified and be like driven and succeed or someone who is ethnically diverse or a woman because we can create and build that rapid rapport, particularly with similar target audiences in a much faster way and go much deeper even than other other consultants and companies may be able to engage with. And then finally, I would say is making sure that your advertising and your marketing agencies have a diverse representation, because when you have diversity at the table, they can point things out that, that may be very obvious to that demographic. If it's just a homogeneous group, they're just oblivious to So. Demanding and encouraging diversity and talent in the customers that you're serving or aspire to serve, as well as with the partnering organizations that support your business are three very practical ways to incorporate DNI to serve your business or organization.
0: You just jumped right in there. So I appreciate that, Kristen, that you give it because it's it's what's right there and it's what's right needed. So when you're clear about the issues, the the solution is is often right in front of us. It's the commitment to move that forward. So taking a little step back and as we sort of wrap up, We started today talking about emotional intelligence okay, and the heart of a leader. And then we talked about, you know, developing and supporting people in these times of change, in this new way of working that is going to not become new anymore. Like it's just going to be the way we do things. And then we talked a little bit about the, the DNI and and the need for and the opportunity for change along with voice of customer and, and really being a customer centric organization, because that in itself has changed over time. You could get away with just blasting products out to the market and it didn't really matter what the customer thought because they'd either buy it or not. Now, as we look at some of these organizations that are, I'll use the word old school, but maybe they've just been around and they've been doing things in that old way, older way. How can they bring about transformational change within the organization? And let's focus in on specifically that like that leadership, that people, that emotional intelligence component in order to achieve some of their more aspirational goals.
1: Yeah. So I think performance management and incentives and talent segmentation are three very practical ways to help to nurture your talent and to incorporate Your company's values, which, you know, EQ, I very rarely see emotional intelligence as a value of an organization. But when one is uh, certainly organizational awareness and organizational management are two of the four domains within emotional intelligence. And so your talent who exhibits your values It's not just important to measure the what and the accomplishment, but it's also important to measure the how. And so that's a way to incorporate kind of a backdoor way EQ into managing your talent. So performance management is important. I think also talent segmentation. I'm used to nine box grids where you're managing performance and potential. And that's really important to over-invest in talent that has potential or talent that is already performing better than average so that you can retain your greatest asset at the organization, which really is talent. And then creating those mentorship opportunities and those sponsorship opportunities. Because once you've demonstrated strong performance, and this is another lesson from early on in my career, After you've demonstrated that consistently strong performance, that becomes a baseline. The differentiator is your personal brand, which is all chapter one of my book, uh, Why Great Performance Isn't Enough. It's all about your personal brand and then visibility and exposure. And so that's where leadership development programs come in of investing in your hypo and your hyper talent, creating those mentorships and sponsorship opportunities. So those are a few ways that you can help to realize potential within your organization's talent and to leverage your company values, leverage also with EQ.
0: That's awesome, Kristen. I, I so appreciate how you really went through the gamut of individual starting at their career. Think like somebody in the the middle uh, stages where they're like looking at their teams and still balancing that operational versus strategic, and really took it up to you know CEOs and boards, uh, if not explicitly, but an opportunity to, to really lead that transformation on like so many different assets and facets rather, and then even sprinkled some talent management in there. So I really yeah. appreciate you running the gamut with us, and it's been so valuable. Where can people get your book? Uh, where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about? Uh, the services that your company offers.
1: Absolutely. So, Driven to Succeed LLC is our website, and that's Driven to T O Succeed LLC. Uh, you can get in contact with us with us there if you're interested in any of the services we provide, from market research and brand strategy consulting to the keynotes and training on leadership and EQ. Particularly for women and diverse talent, which is where we really specialize, having had that personal experience and not just an academic perspective. You can find information there on our level up training that we provide, as well as keynotes. And then my email address is Kristen at DrivenToSucceedLLC.com, and that's K R I S T I N. The Heart of a Leader, you can find on my website. Uh, It's also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere where books are sold. And I have to say, has a 4.9 rating. So a lot of people are finding a lot of great value from the book, which is absolutely my goal.
0: That's awesome, Kristen. Well, one of the things I I really wanna share and just acknowledge you personally, I don't always acknowledge everybody, is, is the fact that you have experience in organizations that have different kinds of constraints. There's a lot to learn big organizations that have so much impact not only on the people that they hire the communities that they work in and also like the global impact of their brand you know that's really the transformation that i see for global leadership or the people in these positions up down and across and especially on the social justice issues that we've we've shared on because the power comes from the people and, and y'all are the people. So if you're listening, like I'm talking to you and that you really have capacity to move that forward. And I highly recommend you listen to this podcast episode like two or three times I am, because there's going to be so many great nuggets in it, no matter where you are. So Kristen, thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been uh, such a pleasure.
1: Likewise. And I'll just throw one more thing. After the murder of George Floyd last year, I wanted to figure out what I could do that would be more sustainable than participating in a a single march. And so we sponsored market research with black and white employees and senior leaders of various companies to have a candid conversation about race in corporate America. And so we shared, we hosted a webinar and we shared that at no cost and you can find that webinar link as well as download the report right from the website driven to succeed llc.com
0: that's awesome kristen and then uh, on our side of things any people of color black brown other that want to be on the podcast we just want to support like everybody in the community and. That's how we're going to make change. So again, I'm so grateful, Kristen, for you to share today. Be sure if you're listening, be sure to share this with your teams. Really, there's so much, so much gold in here. Uh, My guest today, Kristen Harper, who is the CEO of Driven to Succeed LLC. Kristen, thank you again.
1: Thanks, Anthony.
0: My name is Anthony Taylor. My guest has been Kristen Harper. This is the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it, it'll help your team think more strategically, and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. If you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful, and we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos, plus you can use the code PODCAST for $100 off. Course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward.
1: Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.